Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, our reading today comes to us from the Gospel according to Matthew. Now, Matthew can be a difficult gospel to read. It is direct and at times a bit unsettling. You see, it touches upon almost every aspect of religious faith and the human experience. The author of Matthew leans into this idea that faith and ethics intersect. The author wants us to understand that our faith has something to do with how we conduct our personal and social life. This morning, our reading confronts us with acts of betrayal and denial. It is unsettling, leaving us with questions about what it means to be human and how so often our love and our loyalties can be fleeting and fragile. So let's turn now and hear the story of Christ's love and grace, even for those whose love falls short. Selected verses from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 26. When it was evening, he took his place with the twelve disciples, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him, one after the other, surely, surely not I, Lord. And he answered, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. And Jesus, Judas, who betrayed him, said, surely not I, Rabbi. And he replied, you have said so. And while they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. But Peter, Peter said to him, even, even if all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him was a large crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man, arrest him. At once he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you are here to do. And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Now Peter was still sitting outside of the courtyard. 
The female servant came to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you were talking about. And when he went out to the porch, another female servant saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. Again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you are also one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know the man. And at that moment, a cock crowed. And then he remembered what Jesus had said. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. There's an old proverb that says that our greatest enemy is rarely on the outside, it's almost always on the inside. And don't we all know, to some degree, the truth of that old adage? I think we know it at a deeply personal level. We know that so many of our personal struggles and our hang-ups and our addictions and our grievances and our anxieties so often originate not from someplace inside of or outside of us, that is to say, uh, that person or that experience or that thing, but by <clears throat> some power that works within us and often against our happiness and our own sense of well-being. You think of the struggles that we have, regret, shame, trauma, guilt, unhealed pain unresolved grief or an unsettled past. It is in our nature as humans to want to direct the blame for that towards something outside of ourselves. That person, that event, that experience, that group of people, that threat that is <clears throat> out there. But our greatest enemy is never really on the outside. It's almost always on the inside. And don't we know that until we can transform that enemy on the inside, we will often perpetuate that pain and our problems on the outside? It's what the great Carl Jung 
described when he said, until the unconscious becomes conscious, it will direct our fate, or direct our lives, and we will call it fate. The greatest enemy or threat to our happiness is almost always on the inside. And I think we know this at a profoundly relational level as well. Think for a moment about your personal relationships. Maybe you have noticed that those who tend to hurt us most deeply are usually the ones whom we know and love most intimately. Folks that we would describe as a part of our inner circle. It's our uncomfortable yet universal truth as humans that the greater the love and the deeper the bond, the deeper the pain we feel. Whenever we are let down or disappointed or disillusioned or betrayed by others. Have you ever found yourself in one of those moments in which you say, I never imagined that you could do this to me. I trusted you of all people in my life. I thought you were a friend or I have never ever felt so betrayed. It's awful, but it is life and it is love. And it is true that whenever we let someone inside, there is always the possibility for pain. And because we know deep down that this is genuine love, and this is meaningful relationship, this is what it means, that it exists in this constant tension between elation and desolation, between great trust and terrible risk, between happiness and grief. And there is no way to live within this tension uh, that this possibility we could get hurt, uh, there's no way to live with that other than, of course, to live in isolation, to live with mistrust, to to lock ourselves out from, from others, to protect ourselves from ever getting hurt. And there's no more profound story, I think, about this tension between love and betrayal between grace and duplicity than this one you just heard from Matthew's gospel. It is about how on the night that Jesus needed his best friends the most, one of them notoriously betrayed him, and another of them famously denied him, and all the rest of them quietly deserted him. The context for our story today is that it's Thursday evening. It is the last night on earth for Jesus. And within hours, Jesus will be arrested. And before this time tomorrow night, Jesus will have been tried and crucified, and his lifeless body will have been laid in a tomb. And at this point in the story, things are moving very quickly for Jesus. All of those outside forces that are conspiring against him are now tightening their circle around him. The religious establishment, on the one hand, has deemed him a reckless heretic, and the Romans, on the other hand, have deemed him a dangerous dissident. And both institutions have enough power to bring him down on their own. But together, they possess this enormous power, a nearly unstoppable power, because there is no more powerful force in the world There is no more dangerous threat out there in the world 
than when religion and government, when church and state form a cozy alliance with each other. Now, given all this, you would assume then that the greatest threat to Jesus is on the outside, and yet this whole story begins to turn on this fundamental truth that everything that follows from here on out points to the fact that uh, it's within his inner circle of closest friends that exists his greatest threat. On this night, we find Jesus somewhere in Jerusalem, upstairs in somebody's home. He's sitting around a table with uh, all of his disciples. It's, it's likely there are other people there, men and women, gathered because this is a gathering for the Passover supper. It is a sacred holiday that commemorates the liberation of the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt and how uh, the greatest threat in the world passed over them that night. And it's the sacred celebration of the year, the most sacred. And it includes a festive meal. It includes liturgy and prayer, scripture reading. But Jesus here turns the Passover meal into one last lesson for his disciples. And it's a lesson about love and about life and about how these disciples are to live and love with that same tension, knowing that someday they will experience the same disappointment and hurt that he is about to experience himself. And it's a lesson of radical, counterintuitive grace and forgiveness, unconditional acceptance of them. As food is shared and wine is poured and laughter fills the room, Jesus looks around the table and he says, one of you will betray me tonight. And wow, that is really one way to put a a damper on an otherwise great party, right? The room falls silent and Jesus says, no, it's true, someone here, right here. In fact, he says, it's someone who will put his hand in this bowl with me. And I imagine in that moment that whoever was just about to dip his hand in that bowl just quickly (laughs) pulled away, right? And he tried to pass it on to the next guy who said, no, I'm good, thank you. And then someone said at the table, yeah, I think, I think I'll pass too. And, and then someone said, is it me? It's not me, is it Jesus? And everyone else got really defensive. And they started saying, look, it couldn't possibly be me. No way. I would never. Now, the story suggests when you read today's scripture and you read it alongside the Gospel of John, the same story, the, the story suggests that Jesus knows who it is that he knows that it's Judas who will betray him. And tradition has led us to believe that Judas was almost destined to betray Jesus, as if it were predetermined already that this just had to happen. It had to be Judas. But I have to say, I don't know that God ever, ever works that way. Judas didn't have to betray Jesus any more than you or I ever have to do anything that contradicts our impulses and sensibilities for doing good and right in the world. Every one of us, we are free always in every moment to make our own decisions. And there is never a time, there is never a time in our lives in which God does not hold out an infinite number of possibilities for us to choose from 
to do good and to do better with our lives. And so if, if Judas wasn't fated to betray Jesus, what are we going to do with them? Well, for centuries, uh, Christian tradition has, has scapegoated and villainized Judas. It's turned him into something or someone other than like us. One early church leader in the year 130 CE, his name was Papias, he wrote that Judas's body was full of pus and worms. And we all said, well, well that's the problem with Judas, right? Uh, he was just corrupted from the inside out. One medieval writer imagined that Judas in his early life before following Jesus uh, killed his father and then married his mother. And we say, oh, that's the problem with Judas. Mommy issues, right? <laughs> and one Arabic legend conjured up an infant Judas who was obsessively biting himself nonstop. And medieval artists portrayed Judas as this drooling brute and a racist. And if you've ever read Dante's Inferno, you know that image of where Judas is. He's at the bottom of the inferno, where Satan is gnawing at his head. But Christians have loved to hate on Judas. But in the actual story, no one ever seems to suspect that it's Judas that's the problem. There was never anything in those preceding three years that would have signaled to the rest of the disciples that Judas was the one that you got to watch out for. I mean, nowhere in the Gospels does it say, hey, can somebody keep an eye on Judas? This guy is sketchy. Because Judas heard every lesson that Jesus ever taught. And Judas, like the rest of the disciples, healed the sick and he fed the hungry with his own two hands in the name of love. And Judas, like the rest of them, had left everything behind three years ago to follow Jesus. Judas was apparently so trustworthy that the disciples uh, selected him to be the treasurer of their little group, to collect the offerings, to write the checks, to balance the books. There was never anything ever about Judas that would have signaled some kind of suspicion. And that's because Judas loved Jesus as much as the rest of them. In the end, Judas may have been misguided. According to the legend, it was Judas who believed that once Jesus was arrested, the whole Jewish people would rise up in rebellion against the Romans and reclaim Jerusalem. And so maybe his betrayal was meant to set in motion some new political order, maybe. Maybe it was just the money. Maybe Judas saw that the end was really pretty near for Jesus, that his arrest was inevitable anyway. So why not take those 30 pieces of silver and do something good with them? We could accuse Judas of any number of moral flaws and missteps, but one thing we can't do we can't accuse Judas of ever setting out to kill his beloved teacher and friend. When Jesus says, the one who will betray me is sitting right here at the table. And they all ask, who could do such a thing? But quietly, 
They wondered, is it me? There are not just 12 disciples around the table. There are 12 human beings, each of whom, like each of us, possess the capacity for betrayal. Judas was the most notorious betrayer among them, but the other 11 were far from perfect. In fact, none of them were blameless by the, by the time Jesus was crucified. Judas told the authorities where they could find and arrest Jesus, but the other 11 never went looking for Jesus once they hauled him away. And Judas handed over Jesus, but the other 11 deserted him on the cross. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss in the garden, but hours later it was Peter who three times denied knowing Jesus in the courtyard, saying, I don't know the man, I swear. Betrayal comes in various forms. In in the Greek, the the word for betrayal here is paradidomai. It means something like to hand over someone to another, uh, to hand over someone to another power in the world. And today we might think of betrayal as a breach of trust or an act of uh, disloyalty. But paradidomai suggests that it's much more complex than that. Ultimately, to betray someone is to turn away from them by saying, uh, I no longer am responsible for you. I am passing you on to the world. I, I don't want to deal with it anymore. I'm going to give you over to the hands of another or the hands of the world or the hands of chance or circumstance or fate. And when we see betrayal this way, we realize that it comes in various forms, but it is often the same. You can betray a friend by gossiping about her, but you can betray her just as easily by not showing up on the worst day of her life. You can uh, betray your kids by walking out on them, but you can also betray them just by not speaking up when you see that something is just not right. You can betray your partner by falling for another, but you can also betray them by giving your heart to something else, like your work, or some dream, or some interest, or some goal that doesn't include your partner. Betrayal is this decision, conscious or unconscious, to kick the can, and to pass the buck, and to wash our hands and turn a blind eye and say, I don't see what's going on there. And one of the greatest betrayals in our society in this generation is our national obsession with guns. Our obsession over guns at the expense of of public safety and our peace of mind. Uh, The well-being of the common good out there. Did you know that gun violence is the leading cause of death among children in America? That every day in the U.S., we hand over our children to the idolatrous powers of political self-interest and conspiracists and lobbyists and a $51 billion industry that profits from our grief. And for 30 pieces of silver, we hand over 19,000 children every year to gun violence. 52 children a day. Two children every hour 
in America, where we promise liberty and justice for all, so long as you own an AR-15 and you are not a child. This year, about as many American children will die by gun violence as those innocent Americans who died in the attacks of 9-11. And if our lawmakers pursued gun violence solutions with the same resolve and fierceness with which they pursued terrorists in the Middle East, our children might live long enough to know the real meaning of the right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Our greatest enemy is rarely on the outside. It's almost always on the inside. And betrayal in all of its forms is a decision to kick the can and to pass the buck and to wash our hands and turn a blind eye and pretend we don't see it when we actually do. You see, we betray others by what we do and by what we fail to do, by what we say and what we should have said, by acts of commission, acts of omission. And when we look around the table at that Last Supper, we see not one betrayer, but all of us. And each of us, each of those disciples, knows what it feels like to be the ones who are betrayed by those we love. And we know also the experience of betraying those we are given to love and given to care for and protect. None of those disciples are so innocent or blameless as to believe that the betrayer speaks, uh, that Jesus speaks of could possibly be them. Before moving to Colorado in 2014, I uh, spent some time in prison um, visiting inmates as part of a prison ministry. Uh, these men, these beautiful men, wonderful men, they spoke about how their lives were transformed by the grace of Christ, by the love of Christians who would come worship with them every week and do Bible studies. Most of these men had been locked up for more than 25 years, and many of them were serving life sentences for uh, third strike offenses, mostly drugs. One of the uh, visitors in our group from the outside uh, spoke up during one of our sessions. He said, you know, this is weird, but uh, if we were all together having the same conversation in the outside world, no one would ever be able to really tell the difference between you guys and us. He said, you know, besides the blue coveralls, uh, you know, no one would ever know that you're not like us on the outside. And he didn't mean it the way it sounded. But one of those inmates stood up and he said, no, we we are like you. And he said, maybe you are more like us than you realize. At the table, all the disciples asked Jesus, is it me? Because they know it could be. And look, this whole story would be hopeless. It would be really depressing were it not for what Jesus does next in the story. Around that table, Jesus reminds us that in every moment, 
there is opportunity and possibility for the redemption of the betrayer. The people we love will betray us, and we will betray the people we are given to love. But betrayal doesn't have to be the last word. And at the table, Jesus gives us one last radical lesson. Knowing that Judas the betrayer was present, knowing that Peter the denier was present, knowing that the rest of the ten deserters were present, what does Jesus do? He says, take and eat. This is my body. This is the cup of forgiveness. Take and eat. Drink. Betrayal says, uh, let's hand off the problem. And let's hand these people off. And let's pretend we don't see. And let's turn away from the world. But at the table, Jesus says, take this bread and take this cup. And take this, each of you, and take this, all of you, and take this into you, and take this upon you, and take this with you out into a broken world for all the betrayals and all the betrayers that ever were and ever will be. Feed them, he says, because feeding them is the only possible way to redeem them. Jesus says to us, go out there and say to the world, take this bread and drink this cup. And before the world can hand you off or hand you over, hand yourself over in love. Between every betrayer and every denier, Jesus sets the table and leaves us with a loaf of bread and a cup of wine. And he says, take this. Our takeaways for today, our greatest enemy is almost always on the inside. Even betrayers and deniers and deserters are given a place at the table of Jesus. And between every betrayal and every denial, There's bread and wine. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.